Welcome to Cornerstone, a podcast by Rebuild Fellowship. On today's episode, Pastor KJ will continue his message, which has been titled Grace in Real Life. This message continues along the Grace series we've been working through, and the text for this message can be found in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 11 right now as we hop in with Pastor KJ. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is urging Peter to obey. So he has this vision, he has this encounter, but then it takes the Holy Spirit to follow up and say, all right, it's great that you have this vision. It's great that you understand these things. What are you going to do about it? Like, don't just sit on this information. Do something about it. So God's prompting Peter to go with these guys. And again, Acts 10 tells us he still doesn't really know what's going on. So then Peter meets Cornelius in Caesarea, and he hears what, uh, what Cornelius has to say about his encounter with the angels. And that's when Peter realizes, he connects the dots of his vision, and he realizes that the gospel message is for everyone. For everyone who calls Jesus Lord. Without distinction, without partiality, the, and then the Holy Spirit shows up to confirm it. Just to make sure Peter you know, got the message. He had the vision. The Holy Spirit had to prompt him to obey it. Then when he sees it, the Holy Spirit stamps a seal on it. And Peter gets it. So then Peter shows up to the, to, to the religious Christians back in Jerusalem, and he's like, you're not going to believe this. I know what you're hearing, and let me tell you firsthand, I saw it. And they realize that the Holy Spirit is for everyone, and it says that they praise the Lord. But this is, uh, this is something that's been happening throughout the book of Acts. And I want to give us just a quick survey of, of how this has been happening. Um, one of the things that the book of Acts is trying to teach us in this, th- these chapters explicitly is that the gospel is for everyone. It's not just for the most devout. It's not just for the smartest people who can understand complex, difficult things. It's not just for the wealthy. It's not just for me and my family. It is for everyone without exception. So look at this. When, now that we look back, at, at, let's see at how this is happening in Acts 2. You have devout Jews from all over the world who are in Jerusalem who get saved. That, that, those are people from Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Italy, Egypt, Libya, all over Africa. That's who, that's who is represented in this devout Jews that respond at Pentecost. Then in Acts 3, you have a lame beggar. And in that same chapter, you have what are referred to as the elite Jews. Acts 4, you have the rich Jews and the poor Jews. Acts 5, you have women, you have people who are sick, you have those who are afflicted with unclean spirits. Acts 6, you have Greek Jews. Acts 8, now you have Samaritans, who were the enemies of the Jews. You also have a magician thrown in there. I I don't know what that represents, but it's interesting. A magician in the middle of this, right? And then you also have an Ethiopian eunuch, which represented African Gentiles. Acts 9 where we've been the last several weeks, you have a Jewish leader, a religious leader named Saul, who is also a murderer. That's the early church right there. That's the early church. All of those people were the early church. And then, and now from this point, we're going to keep reading and we're going to see even more people representing everyone. And that's the point, is it's everyone. Whatever category you tend to think in, 
those people, they're included. That's, what, that's what's happening in this story. And Peter communicates all of this to that skeptical, traditional group of brothers and sisters, and they praise God. But that's not the end of the story. It would be great if that were the end of the story, right? Our world would be a different place if that were the end of the story. It's not the end of the story, and it's not the end of Peter's story. We're going to pick up the second half of Peter's story in Galatians 2. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Galatians 2, we're going to read uh, verses 11 through 16 and 19 to 21. While you're turning there, I'll kind of give you some context. So now we're going to be hearing from Paul. Paul's writing this letter to the church at Galatia, and he's having to recount a time when he had to publicly confront Peter over this very issue. Peter, the one who just had this revelation from the Holy Spirit, confirmed by the Holy Spirit speaking to him, confirmed by the Holy Spirit showing up and people speaking in tongues and signs and wonders taking place, confirmed by actually the way that he has lived, forgets it. And he goes back. So read with me, starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. But when Cephas, that's Peter's nickname, I guess, Um, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas, not Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. All right, let me summarize this. So Peter shows up in Antioch. Antioch is where the church is thriving, and the church represents Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians who regularly eat together and live together. And that's important for us. We don't fully realize how significant that is. But to eat together with someone in this time, in this culture, represented something significant. It represented equality. It represented deep, meaningful relationships. It represented value and dignity. So it was not just like, oh, it was nice. They were being polite. No, it represented something serious. And that's what was going on. That's the way that the church at Antioch was. And that's how Peter was living as well. Until the people from back home showed up. And it caused him to rethink. What what are they going to think if they see this? So Peter backs off. He backs off. 
And in his backing off, it influenced other people to do the same thing. And that's when Paul was like, "Uh uh-uh, no. And so he confronts Peter, and he confronts him publicly. Why does he confront him publicly? Because Peter's sin was public. Peter's sin was public, and it was influencing all these other people around him. And so Paul had to take the difficult, uncomfortable step of confronting him publicly, and he confronted him on his hypocrisy. Hypocrisy was a term that Jesus used to describe the Pharisees, and it was actually a term to describe actors. Actors were hypocrites because they acted one way even though they were really something else. That's what, that's what Paul is saying about Peter. You are acting one way, but you really ought to be something else. But that's not all, that's not all Paul says to him. Paul doesn't leave it there. He also says, and your life is not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's a weighty phrase. That's very weighty. Not only does he say you're being fake, but he said, but the way that you're living actually does not line up with the gospel. So what does he mean by that? Well, I think he means a couple things. And he goes on to say this. One of the things is that he's forgotten, uh, Peter has forgotten that we have been justified by faith, not by works. So it's not these dietary laws that we have to keep. It's not the relationships that we have to align with. It's not the the form of Christianity that matters. It's actually what's going on in our hearts and as we listen and obey the Holy Spirit. And Peter was not living like that. And what he was doing was he was going back to uh, what Paul tells us in Ephesians 3. He was rebuilding the dividing wall of hostility. Let me mention this quickly um, because I could stay here for a long time and I want to just do this quickly. But we love to, to remember and to talk about how when Jesus died, the curtain, the veil in the temple that separated God from the people was torn in two. Praise God that happened. It reconciled us back to God. But what also happened was what Paul described in Ephesians 3, this dividing wall of hostility was broken down. And Paul tells the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians 3, to stop rebuilding that church. He says to maintain the unity that Jesus died for. You hear what he said? He didn't say try to find or develop or cultivate unity. He said to maintain unity. When Jesus died, he tore the veil that separated us from God. And so we've been reconciled to God. But he also broke down the dividing wall of hostility that separated us from one another. And so we have this horizontal reconciliation along with this vertical reconciliation. That's the gospel message. When we reduce the gospel message to simply a vertical reconciliation, we're actually missing out on another essential part of the gospel, which is we are to love God and to love one another, right? Jesus put both of them together as the greatest command and the second is like it. And this is where that shows up. So when we think that we can just have a a mature, vibrant, deep Christianity that only thinks of my my vertical relationship with God, and we don't think about our horizontal relationships with one another, we're actually not living in step with the truth of the gospel. That's weighty. That's heavy. That's heavy because the church, I think, for a long time has focused 
solely on this relationship at the neglect of this relationship. Uh, and, we haven't, and we haven't stayed in step with the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul, that's what Paul is confronting Peter on um, in this passage. So I want to look at four things in Peter's life here. I want to look at four things that Peter does, even with his missteps, to activate the grace of God in his life. So we see four things from these two sections, and I want to highlight these four things. <clears throat> the first one is that Peter was walking humbly with God so that he could be led by the Spirit of God. How do we know that? Well, in, in Acts 10, Acts 11, Peter had a regular rhythm of prayer. And so he was going before the Lord in prayer. Paul would talk about this as praying without ceasing. Have you ever thought about that phrase and thought, well, what does that actually look like to pray without ceasing? I would say this is what that looks like. Pray without ceasing. You have a, you have a posture of prayer throughout the day. You have moments where you have dedicated, isolated prayer time where you are cultivating this relationship with the Lord to allow you to sync with him and the Holy Spirit so that throughout the day you can hear him speaking to you. So we see that in Peter's life. Acts 10, 9 says, The next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. That was his normal rhythm. Then verse 19 says, While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Three men are here looking for you. So after the prayer time, after the vision, the Spirit is still speaking to him. Then Acts eleven twelve, 12, Peter, in recounting the story, says, The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. Peter heard the Holy Spirit as he was interacting with other people, as he was going throughout his day. So he had, he had a dedicated time of prayer um, that allowed him to then have a lifestyle of prayer. Second thing is that he didn't only hear the Holy Spirit, but then he obeyed the Holy Spirit's leading. <clears throat> Acts 10.23, Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Remember, we just heard the Holy Spirit tell him to go with the people. <clears throat> and now in, in verse 23 and verse 24, he obeys. But we don't just see that here. Like we see this here, but, but think about the Gospels. Think about Peter uh, and, and his relationship with Jesus. How many times Peter was out fishing and Jesus told him to throw his nets on the other side. And what did Peter do? Peter's the fisherman. He's the professional fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. And so what did, Jesus, what did Peter do when Jesus the carpenter told him how to fish? He obeyed. I think that's amazing. <laughs> he obeyed. He listened to what Jesus said and he threw the nets on the other side. This happened repeatedly and he always caught a lot more than he was catching before he obeyed. Right? Not only that, <clears throat> when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, what does Peter do? Not me, Lord. Don't wash my feet. And Jesus has to explain to him, no, I need to. And then, of course, Peter is like, not just my feet, everything. Wash everything. And Jesus is like, slow down, Peter. Hold up. Hold up. I just need to wash your feet, all right? Settle down. But that's Peter, right? That's Peter. He, 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 is, he is willing to obey. And, that, and we see that as a pattern in his life. And that's where we'll stop and pause for today. Thank you for taking your time with us today. If you would like to learn more about our church or have us pray for you in any way, you can find us at www.rebuildchurch.com. That is www 
www.rebuildchurch.com. Our church meets in Durham, North Carolina, and if you're looking for a church to attend, we'd love to have you join us. We meet weekly at 10 a.m. on Sunday, and you can find more details about what to expect and where we are on our website. You can also find our full services on our YouTube channel. Please join us for our next episode as Pastor KJ continues this message, which has been titled Grace in Real Life.